Before we begin, I want to thank the sponsor of Oil & Gas Upstream, Oliva Gibbs. Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil, gas, and mineral law issues nationwide. We believe that when we focus on serving people, good things happen in the lives of our clients and employees. We just happen to be a law firm. Learn more at oglawyers.com. Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Milkett, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for oil and gas upstream research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE, founded Energia Consulting, and joined the Oil and Gas Global Network as a podcast host. I invite you to go to the OGGN website and take a look and check out all the other podcasts in the network and the new merchandise that's available. Maybe even pick up the Oil and Gas Upstream t-shirt that reminds us that only the bit finds oil. The link is in the show notes. And don't forget to sign up for OGGN's weekly newsletter, Sunday Update. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Carol Grandy, CEO of Magni Grandy Distribution, also known as the mother of ESPs. And we are recording live at the 2023 Society of Petroleum Engineers Gulf Coast Section Electric Submersible Pump Symposium, ESPs, for those of you who are not oil and gas subject matter experts. So, Carol, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Elena. So, as I said, Carol is the uh, CEO of Magni Grandi Distribution, the mother of ESPs, an entrepreneur and innovator who has commanded attention worldwide and driven change with lasting results for safety and equipment. Uh, safety equipment longevity, primarily in the oil and gas sector. Carol, what a title! You're going to have to tell us all about uh, all about that. Thanks again for being with us today. It's a title that I actually wear proudly because I realized a long time ago that electric submersible pumps needed a champion. Well, being a woman, I decided somebody decided one of my clients that they needed a mother. So when that title was presented all those years ago, I took up the mantle proudly. Why not? We need, we needed a champion for electric submersible pumps. Absolutely. And today, as you were introducing me to some people, they immediately called you the mother of SP. So I mean, it's, it's a title I think that you've earned, and people say it lovingly. I, I know that. So, so Carol, um, tell us about your company, Magni Grandi Distribution. Magni Grandi Distribution was started in 1989. Before that, we were in deep well water source submersibles, so we knew motors. And we realized that there was an anomaly that was happening with the producers where um, lightning would take out fields and cost them thousands of dollars to get them repaired and get them back online. And so Mr. Grandy... Our, vice, our president of engineering developed a surge suppressor that met code, but that had the great ability to basically stop this lightning and these power anomalies, especially in the Permian at the time and in um, Rangeley, Colorado, 
from from destroying our clients' equipment. Yeah. And so that's what first got us into the industry. Yeah. So um, for uh, for those of us who are not subject matter experts in ESPs. Uh, lightning happens anywhere and everywhere. We have mechanisms for taking care of that. What's different about the oil field that they need a special piece of equipment for that? Well, in the oil fields, it's interesting because when we started this grounding, which is a safety factor, sometimes was non-existent because of the location of the wells. Oh, right. And so what you would see as for South, Mr. Grandy would always say, would you ever put your computer plug into the wall without a surge suppressor? No, right. Okay, you know the answer to that. Right. Why would you put an ESP 8,000 feet down in a well without a surge suppressor. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. That's yes, we specialized are. Yes, we are. Equipment that we use yes, for we ESPs. Do. Yes. And yesterday, um, when we interviewed the chairman of the um, uh, SPE ESP symposium, we learned that basically our electric submersible pump is a lot of sophisticated equipment downhole with an extra-long extension cord, if you will. And so that's the mechanism. That's, those are the mechanics that we're talking about when we talk about ESPs for, for folks. Yeah. So, so Carol, um, you, you and I have been in the oil business a long time in the industry. So what are some changes that you've seen with respect to service sector um, and, um, and your engagement in the oil and gas sector and, and other women being part of the sector? And... Share a little bit about uh, that for us. This, this workshop or this symposium that we're in right now, um, I started volunteering and everybody who works here is a volunteer. We all have jobs. Nobody's paid for this. Right. It's a, a labor of love. And I started this in 1987 because I had a goal and we all had a goal here and it was to educate the producer about electric submersible pumps. You know, Elena, you've got this wellhead sitting at the surface, and that's all you see. That's right. And the intricacies and the delicacy, in truth, of, and the electronics that go down that well are, are massive and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But we tend to forget because you can't see it. Okay, it's not like a rod pump. Okay, right. you can't see it. And so... This, this workshop originated with helping by actually producers getting together to educate themselves because they're petroleum engineers. You're a petroleum engineer, okay? But they're dealing, and I jokingly say to them, electric submersible pump, okay? You have to have respect. It's a lifeblood of what operates this whole system. And if you don't have respect for it or even an understanding of it, how can you how can you expect to operate it efficiently or effectively? Right. And so this whole workshop was started by producers, and you and I went over that in a, in a in a recent visit, and they said we need to take our power back. Yeah. Well, then along comes a couple of ladies, myself and Karen Draper, and they said, would you help us organize this? Well, we cracked the whip, <laughs> <laughs> and all these years later. It's the premier worldwide 
Electric Submersible Pump Symposium. Yeah, yeah. So I've been here about 24 hours watching from the time that people were setting up their exhibits um, and then last night's program and then this morning's program, Keynote Address. And I was sharing that um, this has all of the features of the major conferences that we have in the oil and gas sector. You know, SPE's annual technology conference and exhibition, which is next month uh, in, in a couple of weeks. And then the Offshore Technology Conference, we've got um, high-level keynote speakers. We've got a very robust exhibit area. We've got lots of technical papers. We've got poster sessions. I mean, it's and and we have a lot of attendees. It's it's really um, a top-notch uh, conference for a section for a simple section of the um, Society of Petroleum Engineers, the Gulf Coast section. Yes, right? it is. That's, That's who started us, yes. Yeah, so this is this is really impressive to, to see all of this happening here. Yeah. So let me see. What else can we, we talk about here? I have a few questions for you. So, okay, what are some of the um, challenges that um, producers face that are addressed by... Um, ESPs, either, um, well, maybe in their ESPs, we've, okay, to be fair, in my early uh, part of my career in the field, I did encounter ESPs, and there was a challenge with reliability because of solids. Of course, it wasn't the ESPs' fault necessarily because solids, sand, would interfere with almost everything that we've got going in the oil field, but I'm sure that's one of the challenges that we're facing. Are there others that have been conquered? We, to me, for instance, our motto is, let us teach you to love your ESPs again. When an ESP is treated properly and given, it, it needs respect. And if you respect it, then it'll do its job. And what we've done is we've taken ESPs from something that a number of producers wanted to get rid of because of the nuisance and the expense. Because every time one of these fails, they've got to bring a rig out, they've got to pull it. And this is a very costly endeavor. Plus, ESPs are for the high producing wells. On an ESP, that's where the producer makes their money. And whether you agree with that or not. (laughs) Well, I agree with that. Yeah, this is the big producers, okay? So what we've done is we've, we are endeavoring to, number one, keep them safe. And we have, our, our company has developed a number of products to keep them safe. Number two, to keep them in the ground, keep them operational. Because there are certain factors, like you were talking about sand, a number of companies here today, they've developed sand separators that work great. We took each obstacle in producing oil with an ESP and we've come up with solutions. So there are ESPs out there right now in the ground or on a platform that have been running for four to five years. Oh my gosh, this I had is no unheard idea. of, and it wasn't like that before. Right. Oh no, that's wonderful. So safety and reliability, the mantra of the oil and gas business, absolutely. So you said that you came up came up with a lot of solutions. What were some of those solutions? Tell us about your technology. We we brought the surge suppression into the industry. Right. We talked about that. And so we stopped that anomaly. Then we introduced with another manufacturer out of Hobbs, New Mexico, a grounding system because a lot of people in the oil industry didn't understand grounding. They would tell me, we don't need no ground, Miss Carol, (laughs) and they do. And so National Electric Code has bylines and rules for grounding. Now grounding is a standard. 
Well, what happens, Elena, is like, in, especially in the Permian, for instance, or in the Middle East, because of the environment, it's very difficult sometimes to maintain a legal ground. And so we've developed a product with Kenneth Lacey called the Rod. And we put it in lakes in France, and we put it oh. in the Middle East. And we're always able to maintain a good ground because the earthing, your ground rod, that's your, that's your, your these are your primaries, uh, modes of protection. And so in the 90s, API, which is American Petroleum Institute, we have guidelines and one's called RP11S and it's for submersible pumps, electric submersible pumps. And they put in their guidelines that secondary surge suppression, which is what we have, and proper grounding should be used. Well, when they first came out with this, I said, well, can't you make it a rule? And they said, no, Carol, it's a recommended practice. I said, well, that needs to be a rule. By the way, um, IEEE picked it up and, and NEC, so there are rules now. Yes. But um, so when we solved the lightning problem, when we solved the grounding problem, then in the 70s, in 1976, two gentlemen... David Devine and Kenneth Lacey, I believe, put in the first variable frequency drive in Horton Field, which was Texaco in West Texas. Oh, my gosh. Before that, we always had switchboards, cross-the-line start, okay? And ESPs were running for seven, eight, nine, some of them uh, down at Adair, 11 years. Then we introduced the variable frequency drive. And the idea was, with a switchboard, it's on-off. Okay. You can have a jar, yeah. Okay. And the variable frequency drive would get it, could have it kind of ramp up, okay? And then you could adjust it. So if you wanted to operate rather than at 60 hertz, you could operate at 58 hertz or at 62 hertz, okay, for optimum production. Vary the amount of fluid that could come into the pump at exactly. a time. Exactly, okay. exactly. So then kind of waned off till the 90s. And then... The term unconventional came around. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you know what I'm talking I about. Do, yeah. Sure. And with unconventional, we needed, it was a stronger case for the variable frequency drive right. with an ESP because they, this, then they could really adjust it. They could really then play with it and work with it, okay? Well, what happened is in the history of ESPs, we saw across the board in the industry that the run lives of our ESPs was much lower than it was when we had our switchboards, okay? So about um, eight years ago, a major producer in uh, West Texas asked our group to identify the problem. And um, so we did, we went out to the field we uh, took the test equipment. We had five different pieces of test equipment because we wanted to make sure everything was checked and double-checked. We suspected what we were going to find. We found it. It was worse than we thought. Oh, my. So we went back. We put our report together and presented it to upper management. And then upper management said, Miss Carroll, mother of ESPs, will you come up with a cost-effective solution? It's sitting over there, and we have thousands in the field. Yeah. And uh, the day that we, we made our first one, put it in the field, it performed, 
did all of our documentation up to the 500th harmonic, and they gave me an order for 1300. So that started, and now it's a standard. It's patented. We were blessed. We were able to get patents on it. We've got the Middle Eastern patents, the U.S. patents, oh. and right now we have three to 4,000 out there. And in the Permian, we are we become a standard for many, many producers. It's a system. Proper surge suppression, variable frequency drive, proper grounding, step-up transformer, common mode filter, go to the wellhead. And keep them running. And, that's, and we've done this offshore, too. And uh, this is what we've been doing. Yeah, yeah. So that's so. There's a couple of couple of questions in there. I, I think I wrote them down here so I wouldn't forget. So offshore versus onshore applications. I think in our mind's eye we can we can see that uh, for onshore, but with offshore, are we talking in shallow water, deep water? I mean, what are some of the challenges um, that one the of water our presents? one of our greatest successes was offshore Gabon, Africa. And they were having anomalies happen on their platform with um, ESPs and BFDs. And uh, the gentleman who was in charge of it contacted us. And uh, we're small. There's only six of us. And, and asked for our help. And they were having failures, as I recall, every four to five months. And they had a duel, so when one would fail... It would be, there would be two. They could automatically turn on the second one. Well, they would go to turn on the second one, Elena, and it didn't work. Oh. When they would pull it out, they would see all kinds of drops of metal all over everything. Oh, yeah, it's fun oh, stuff, right? Oh, my gosh. It was identified as, and I'm not an engineer, okay? But it was identified that the sine, the, the sine wave waveform coming out of the drive was hitting some kind of a high frequency that was pretty much annihilating the metal, okay? So once this was done, and there are technical terms for that, once this was done, then we were able to get this cleaned up and we put in our common mode filter, and he's running now over four years and he hasn't had a pull. Oh my God. That's offshore. Offshore is very expensive. It can cost millions of dollars to have to pull offshore. Another client came to us, and he had tubing parting. And I kind of said, okay, we're good, but I don't think we're that good, right? And he had a number of cases of tubing parting to the point that he even lost one of his wells. Wow. And they were kind of chasing maybe the chemical company. chemical company took the tubing to a laboratory in Houston. They came back, Elaine, and said high frequency. It was coming out of the drive. Okay, we stop that. Oh. We stop, we increase cable life, hothead or MLEs. Um, we stop rotor bearing fluting. Another producer gave a, a presentation in, uh, in Midland, Texas, and he titled it When Mechanical Failures Are Electrical in Origin. Oh my. And, um, it's a thing. Yeah. Oh, it's a big thing. But see, we didn't know. Right. We didn't know. And so that goes back to this workshop started out as a round table, a symposium. Knowledge is key. The more that we know, the more that we can make this happen because to a producer, their biggest asset, in my opinion, are their electric submersible pumps. 
But if they don't know or understand it, then they don't have a chance to optimize them because when you drill a well, you want big oil. Yeah, well, well of course. you got to have an ESP. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's what we do. Yeah, that's wonderful. The other feature, the other um, point you made was the notion of a recommended practice uh, becoming a rule. So just, just for people outside the oil and gas sector, it's the industry itself, as it's solving its problems, problems, um, identifies certain what we call best practices, the best things to do. They're not rules, but they are then become recommended. And the American Petroleum Institute is that entity in the oil and gas sector that actually looks at uh, these kinds of success factors that go into the operations of oil and gas. And they're down at the lowest level of detail with respect to what keeps the whole complex system of mechanics um, that bring the oil and gas up from the reservoir up to the surface to, um, it's, it identifies some of those weak links, if you will, in that system or various systems. And so it starts out with very rigorous um, analysis by uh, subject matter experts in the industry. They form committees. Uh, API forms committees on different topics, and um, and then they then they do these analyses, and they will even hire out for some uh, some research or some laboratory testing or something. Anyway, the conversation uh, becomes very rigorous, and eventually comes up with the how and the why and the where and the what of a recommended practice, and that's sort of uh, announced to the industry that. This problem can be addressed by this, or you can avoid things by doing this other recommended practice. And um, to the point where regulators, after their rigorous analysis of the work that API did to develop this standard, um, then will turn that into an operating rule. A rule, for example, offshore, uh, the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement will send out notices to the operators and say, that says, uh, we've identified that there's bolt failures in this kind of environment and there are some recommended practices for you to pursue in order to avoid this kind of a, a problem. And if you know anything about the mechanics, bolts are everywhere. They're just yes. tiny little nothings, um, but they are so uh, important in, the, in keeping everything together and fasteners, bolts, bolts and fasteners. Keeping everything together, the mechanical systems of the well, in, that brings us the production from the subsurface up, up to the surface. So it's a big deal to identify a practice and then have it become a recommended practice by the industry and then for it to become a rule. And I didn't want that to be lost on anybody, that you were able to come up with these insights that inform that. It, it you know, you, you were talking about it, and like you said, offshore, onshore, safety. I'm sure that, that anybody in the production industry is, is aware, and even in the electrical industry, with the term arc flash. Um, you've heard of it. Um, pretty much everybody in this conference has heard of it, but a lot of them, they don't understand what that means. And arc flash kills our people. Our people. And um, it, it's, a, it's a real thing. And we're dealing with electricity and would you put your hair dryer when it's on in the bathtub when you're in it? No, okay. never. <laughs> and there's even a little picture on the hair dryer that says, do, do not. not. Well, we developed, because of arc flash, we developed, our company developed a voltage current monitor, which is up there on, on the display right now. <laughs> and we've had this situation in our industry, or, or a new, and it's called permanent magnet motors. And you and I visited a little bit about it. 
And it's becoming, from what I'm seeing, the wave of the future because of the economics of operating it. But it has a little few inherent obstacles. And so we developed the Zyton so a producer can go out. Um, normally, you would have to put on a 40 cal suit. You would have to suit up, which I showed you that suit, or I will later. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Very cumbersome to take these readings. I can't even put my hands in the gloves, Elena, and, and hold a probe. Okay. Right. Almost impossible. Well, you would have to, and we're talking voltage readings of 4,500. So when you talk about 000. this suit, it's almost like when we see people on television go to defuse a bomb or exactly. something. Exactly. Huge, big, cumbersome, exactly. scary suits. Exactly. And okay. this truth be told that in many times we would have people go out and they wouldn't suit up. Oh. Okay? Anyway, we've had in the industry some deaths. People know this. It's not a secret. Okay. And that's when Magni Grandi realized that we needed to come up with a better way to take these high voltage readings to get this information. And so over a number of years, we developed a piece of equipment. You saw it, it's quite elegant, yes, I think. Yes. That um, they can put this in, and then all of their readings, it can either go to their SCADA, or it's Modbus, or they can just look at it. And they can get true information on everything. They don't have to suit up. They don't have to do anything. They just have to look at it or get a printout of it. Wow. And that's all available because in Magni Grandi's opinion, okay, our first loyalty is to the producer. Right. That is, we chose our master right. and we choose a producer. Right. And we need to keep them safe. We need to offer them, when they come to us, with as many solutions for safety, for longevity in their ESPs, which is what we specialize in, and in, in making this happen. And it's my personal goal, we're almost there, to see ESPs in the ground for 5, 10, 15 years and never have to pull them, and it's possible. Yeah. It is possible. Yeah. So the other piece you mentioned that I wanted to ask a little bit more about is unconventionals. With those very long horizontals, what are some new, yeah, what are some of the things that, that ESPs run into that you've had to deal with or your, your, your customers, your producers See, have had to deal with? And the honest of it is on the unconventionals, that's more with the production engineers and I know there's many challenges, but my job, our job, is to make sure from the surface that, number one, they meet code for right. safety and longevity because they have enough obstacles going through those dog legs and going through what they go through. Yeah, uh -huh. it's uh -huh. horizontal yeah, wells yeah, are tricky. Yeah. Yes, Absolutely, they are. Absolutely, to, to and keep it true. <laughs> I, we, we, we're going to supply them the best power. We're going to supply them the best surface equipment, and then production engineers, it's on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when we're talking about horizontal wells, some can be miles yes, long. Yes, absolutely. That's a long extension cord. Very. So excellent, excellent. So exciting. I can see why you love this stuff. Well, there's a, quite a few puzzles to try to put together. And there's always something new. We just got called, our team just got called Friday for another situation. Um, it's with an E-Rig. Uh, okay. And um, I think I told them no when they originally asked me to come up with a solution. But then they laughed and they said, you'll, you'll come back to us. <laughs> it, it's all about keeping them safe and keeping them producing and keeping the oil companies in the black. 
And that's what, like I told you, Elena, we chose our master, right. and it's a producer. Right, right. So e-rigs, that's a special application. Oh, and yeah, that's a new got one. some challenges. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, we won't, we won't no, no, no. talk, we'll talk about, about that later. After, <laughs> after we <laughs> solve the problem. Well, actually, we are almost at the end oh, of our right. time. So this has been so delightful. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners that you didn't get to say before? Because you have so much experience, such longevity, and such deep respect by your peers here in the industry. So, Thank you. Number one, thank you. I respect them. To me, one of the most important things that we can do, and I am a vendor, I admit that freely, um, listen to the producers. Listen to them. So many times I see some of the vendors go in and they'll tell a producer, and I've been there, you need this, 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 and this. Well, when I go in, I say, what can I do for you? Okay, tell me what you need and how I can help you. I don't, we try not to dictate to them what we think they need. We need to listen to them because you know, Elena, these young production engineers, male and female, and I love it, okay? They're so smart. They are so sharp. They just, they, 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 their intelligence astounds me. And I'm just proud to still be part of it. I truly am because... Literally, the sky's the limit. They're going to come up with things that we didn't even think of. That's right. And That's I'm just right. really, really proud to be the mother of yeah. ESPs. Yeah, yeah. And and you raise a really good point. If uh, So, oil and gas sector isn't the most popular sector with young people, unfortunately. But if you have a passion for some aspect of technology or of science, this industry is the first place you're going to be able to apply it because there are so many needs. Any major that you would have in school has application in the oil and gas sector. There are just so many moving parts and it's just a very, it's complex uh, situation. And sometimes when I think about it, I wonder that we can get oil and gas at all or that we have energy at all. It's a miracle. It It is is a miracle if a, a normal person, a lay person was to go out and look at the internal components and at the layout. All they see is a plug at the top or a rod pump. If they were to really see, as you're seeing here from the displays, the intricacies, it is a miracle. And it works, and it works. And you realize the first ESP went in the ground in Oklahoma, or Tunoff did it in like 1934 or something, right around there. So the technology's been around. We've added a lot of jewelry. Hey, so I call them girls because they got jewelry, okay? So the BSPs must be women, all right? Because they got the jewelry going. And and all it's done is is let's optimize it. Let's increase its performance. And it's amazing what they do. Amazing. Absolutely. Oh, Carol, it's been delightful talking with you. Thank you so much for being with us. Carol Grandy, CEO of Magni Grandy Distribution. Thank you so much for being our guest and for sharing all about your contributions to the oil and gas sector and those that you will continue to develop. Elena, thank you for having me on. It was great. You're great. And I'm going to have you on anytime, anytime, <laughs> absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Elena Melkert, your host for Oil and Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.